Welcome to the eighth season of the Spa Retailer Podcast. I cannot believe we've been plugging along for five years already. And what a great episode to launch this season with. Not only is Pettis Pools and Patio celebrating 60 years in business, but John Napadano had some really great insights on what the industry has gone through the last several years and where it's going. I certainly took a lot away from this conversation, and I hope you do too. Enjoy. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. Today on the Spa Retailer Podcast, I have John Napadano here from Pettis Pools. They've got two locations in the New York area, East Rochester and Greece. So thank you for being on the podcast today, John. Thanks for inviting me to this wonderful new forum. And I think Pettis Pools is a company that a lot of people in the industry has heard of. I certainly have. And I know that we've interviewed a lot of people from your store and from your business over the years in both Spot Retailer and in Pool Pro Magazine. But you guys are, you have a big milestone this year, right? Yeah, it's our 60th year. It's awesome. The founders, God rest their souls, are not with us anymore, but Irma passed away, Mrs. Pettis, back in 2012. And Larry, seven years prior to that. Yeah, it's neat to be in running a business that's been around 60 years. And we have good long-term employees that appreciate it as well. So yeah, just trying to carry the torch. And there is pride with that. Yeah, yeah, pride. Yeah. I'm sure no pressure at all. No, do the same thing you've always done. It's, it's right. the only the reason we survived. You just, you saw what the folks did. You continue it. And when you got good employees that care and try yeah, it works out. How did you end up at the business? Are you have you always been in in New York? Did you grow up in the area? Yeah, born and raised in New York. When I went to college, I met Julie Pettis, and, and I started here 37 years ago on a summer job in sales, and enjoyed it. Was good at it. It was fun, and I went out to the real world and tried to get a job after college. And uh, Mrs. Pettis, Julie's mom at the time. She gave me enough string to see what was out there, but mm -hmm. she called me for a dinner meeting and said, "Hey." I'm going to throw my hand ring and offer you a sales management job. Well, I thought to myself, selling real estate, selling copiers, why not oh. stick with this? Yeah. So I took the job and yeah, it's been history ever since. Yeah. When was that, that you started actually in management full-time for them? That would have been 86. 86. 1986. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've been there for more than half of the 60 years then. Yeah. And it's been, and I still think of it as the same company. We just got bigger. Yeah. yeah. So when you went there, did they just have the one location? Yeah, it was one location. Irma and Larry Pettis, the founders, were in their 50s. And Larry was getting tired of building and subbing out the in-ground pools. And Irma, was she was just a brilliant businesswoman who loved retail, was good at it, and kept retail going. We had no service department to speak of. That sort of was on its way out as well. And when Julie and I joined the business in the management capacity, 
it was let's why don't we start rebuilding these things mm-hmm. and it's always based on personnel so we got we started hiring and good people that are still with us and just slowly kept growing them and then the second location julie pat is my partner is very she's very aggressive doesn't like sitting around if she was going to join the family business she wanted to do something so she was a very big, the divisions, we concentrated on the service division, growing that. We concentrated on the in-ground division, trying to get that back from a subcontractor and uh, advocate of opening second location. Okay. And uh, we split up. I stayed at the main store. She went to the new store, grew good people under us. And that's how the second location started. That was back in 88. It was the second location. And we moved in 10 years later to a bigger location on the same side of town. So as I reflect back, it was just constant support from Irma. Mm-hmm. Larry just did what he felt he had to, and Irma was the, the charge. Yeah. And she supported us. So we kept growing. Yeah. Yeah. When did you guys start, when did you guys start bringing hot tubs or were they always in the mix from the- They were company? always in our midst, but we sold, I don't know, five, 10, 15 hot tubs when I was first started, sold them, delivered them, the whole thing. Hot tubs became- bigger for us as we started doing event selling. So mm-hmm. fairs and festivals, we were a good part of the New York State Fair for many years. And, uh, and that's when the category grew. And by default, it became a very important category and an easier sale when you compare it to pools. Sure, you don't and, have to actually build it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can deliver it. it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it was awesome. So yeah, event selling, fairs and festivals. Yeah. And uh, and again, it was just, it became natural to try it. And then we brought on Softub years and years ago. So there's something like when you bring on Bacquasil back in the day, that was a big hit. We brought on Softub years and years ago. And that was an easy product to go to shows with. Portable. Sure. Easy to set up, easy to take down. Yeah. And that price point for, I feel like people shopping at fairs too, right? Yeah, very much. That gave us a growth category that we really didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. And then we transitioned into the hard shells. We call them hard shells. It's a term we became very familiar with. Most people don't even laugh when we say it, but and started doing the same thing, event selling. And yeah, it's a very big part of our business now. Yeah, it's really interesting because I I know from just the research on your website and what I do know about you guys is the soft tub thing was really Julie's baby and she made it into kind of its own business unit, it sounds. Yeah, she called us from California. She was selling for a deal. She stepped away from the business for a little while Okay. and learned about soft tub and sold soft tubs in California. Mm -hmm. She made a call back home and asked if she could replicate it in Rochester under the Pettis umbrella. And sure, why not? And yeah. she ran, yeah, she became number one or two in the world with the volume sales. And in the heyday, it was big numbers. And again, all those efforts, we supported it with delivery trucks and show set up and learned banners and put everything into it. And so then when we transitioned into the hot tubs, we had a footprint to go off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's changed a little now. So up to isn't quite as big of the show. They're still out there, but prices are up and yeah. yeah. There's a lot of price point hot tubs out there. Sure. Okay. But, but it was neat. Neat part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because I think it's rare to find a business that can do uh, swimming pool construction and then also hot tub retail and do them both. That's not something that you see very often. Like usually you'll have a really good pool builder and they sell kind of hot tubs on the side. They're not like a big volume dealer. There's not a lot of people out there who do, who are 
in the swimming pool building business, but then also are a high volume spa dealer. That's just, it's just not, it's a difficult thing to do because they're so different as far as how those businesses are run that one or the other becomes really the bread and butter of the company. But you guys really seem to do both and focus on both. And then you throw a soft tub in the mix and that's also yeah. a completely... <laughs> You don't see a lot of people who do soft tub and then also acrylic spas and do them both well. So it's just, it's a real, it's an interesting mix. And it's interesting that you guys have found a way to make them all work and profitable in their, in their own right. Yeah. It's uh, I always thought of it as divisions of the business, running a business within the business. So Julie ran a business within the business, put all her effort into it. We financed it. She didn't worry about the other areas. Retail has always been a strength of ours. So Irma and just keeping that good looking stores, good product, good personnel. So the retail took its own life. And again, it was good people. I had a service manager with Kevin Coleman, who's semi-retired now. He's with us three days a week. Okay. And he took our service division from nothing to a very substantial part mm -hmm. of our business. And years ago, it was like, Kevin, run it like a business under our name. And we gave him a percentage of net income as a way for him to take a piece of his efforts and right. he literally and to this day he's transitioning out but teaching a younger a manager that uh, so that's how this that's how things worked here and the hot tubs that was sort of my baby back in the day and watching what was happening all i could say is we have good people everywhere strong enough people everywhere that we were able yeah. to grow each division yeah and one other thing my competitors, I have a very big competitor in above grounds. I have a very big competitor in in-grounds. And the thought that we had when we talked about this direction was, why don't we not go head to head with that? I don't need to be the biggest in-ground builder out there. I just need to have a good in-ground division. And Steve Pettis, the son, he measured twice, cut once. He was the out guy. He, he watched that division. He grew that division. So we had Julian Softos. We had Steve in the field with in-grounds. Watching the retail was easy because we had great managers and growing the hot tubs sort of fell into my, my uh, responsibility and uh, it all worked out. What did your growth in the business look like? You started out as a sales manager and now you're president and a part owner too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Julie and I are the presently own the business. Steven retired two years ago. Okay. Uh, and so he was also, him. was he also an owner? He was, okay. yeah, it was the three of us. Okay. And, um, he's still our landlord though. <laughs> <laughs> Making As that passive Julie. income. Yeah, nice job. Yeah. So yeah. What was your question? <laughs> oh, no, I was just, I was curious what your, what your growth trajectory looked like in the company, starting off as a sales manager. Well, yeah, titles never really did anything for me, but Mr. Pettis, uh, unfortunately got Alzheimer's at a young age in his fifties. Mm. And uh, he was the president of the company and it became obvious after a certain amount of time that he couldn't hold that role. Family meeting, we all mm -hmm. sat and talked and uh, Stephen was, I don't, I'm a field guy. I'm not, you know, that's not what I do. Mm -hmm. And Julie was really engaged with the soft tub at the time. And uh, it was logical for me to, you know, so there wasn't a big transition. It was just, yeah. I'd be, ha I'd be honored to sit in the scene, and do what I can to continue what he's yeah. done. Okay. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because a family business, and so you're working with two siblings whose parents started the company, and then there's you kind of the, a little bit of the odd man out. How does that work as far as the family dynamics and everything like this? It's an interesting ownership triangle. I guess now it's not a triangle anymore. Yeah. I think it was the trust in Irma, Mrs. Pettit. She mentored me and she gave me responsibility. 
I remember sitting with her and I said, you know, I want to go get my MBA. And she said, save the 40,000 and stick with me. And, uh, <laughs> so, and she took me to every, when we, she had meetings with the advertisers, when she had meetings with the insurance people, she brought me right into them. I realized it now what she was doing when she was teaching me the business. Yeah. And um, certainly the trade shows and all the education, she was very big with going to those. And she sat right up front, took notes. She knew the industry, but she was in the front row taking notes. Yeah. And uh, we had fun when we went to the trade shows, but we were at the, we did a lot of educational training. Yeah. And I can go on and on with stories <laughs> popping in my head, but yeah. I would just say the reason why it works, mutual respect between all of us. What Julie does for the business, I can't do. What Stephen did for the business, I could not do. Mm -hmm. And they understand the same with me. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And well, and I think you talk about Irma, it sounds like she handpicked you as her successor. Like she knew before you knew that that's maybe where she wanted things to go, but you know, you talk about their legacy and how interesting that they raised two kids who worked in this business who, um, didn't have the entitlement or ego to allow someone from outside, come in and be a part of it and not feel yeah, entitled to running everything and were able to find their own place and something that they could personally be excited about and excel at and really help the business to become what it is today. Yeah, no, it's unique. It's unique. And when you see true entrepreneurs and they, it's 24 seven, Irma worked 24 seven. I mean, like many, I mean, even right. today we, I don't work to her level of when she's over cooking at eight o'clock at night, a quick meal, and then coming back at nine o'clock to finish the books, exhaustingly yeah. busy, yeah, never ending. And the kids saw that. And I think they had an appreciation for it and thought, my God, none of us could do this. Who would mm -hmm. really want to pull that what they did. And their story was certainly, they were very, they were two school teachers with no money. They wanted to get in business. And so they went to the classified section when they were young and they opened up and they saw an ad. Larry wanted to get into a hardware business. Okay. So he said, look for a hardware business. And Irma saw an ad for Fox Pools, in-ground pools, become yeah. a dealer down in York, Pennsylvania. And my God, for whatever off the wall reason, they thought they could do it in upstate New York. And that's what God, that's how this started. One pool the first year and it went from there, from their garage to uh, building a store and on. And they yeah. didn't have money, enough money to pay anybody anything <laughs> back in the day. So there's, there's a lot of appreciation for all the hard work they've done. Yeah. So I mean, what has it been like for you guys over the last couple of years? Because obviously I think we're all tired of having everyone saying that it's been an unprecedented time, but it really mm -hmm. unlike anything else that we've ever experienced in the pool and hot tub industries on so many fronts and as a world on so many fronts, what does that look like for you guys? Did you have to, I mean, New York had some of the stricter mandates in place. Did you guys have to close down or what did that look like for you at the beginning? And then once sales started going crazy? Yeah, I think a similar story, but when the pandemic hit in March, because we did so many events, we were in a mall for a third location doing very good business on weekends only. Then we did expos at the mall for sauna and hot tubs in the New York State Fair, the revenue from the New York State Fair, the revenue from the mall, mm -hmm. the revenue from all of our shows. I just calculated a loss that year, just under $2 million. I said, we're going to lose $2 million this year of revenue. Yeah. And so it was nerve wracking. And we were able to stay open as an essential business mm -hmm. three days a week. And then, as we all know, people knocked our doors down by May. You couldn't 
if you had pools and hot tubs, you sold them. So then it became, my God, this is good for us. Our big competitor is travel. <laughs> the travel industry, when people can't travel, they put stuff in their homes. We always said that. And yeah, here, I guess it was true. It was true. It was true. And yeah, so once travel opens and the high prices with flying now and the high gas, who knows, but they're out. Everybody's out flying. So we'll see. So we went from fear and, but we'll be okay because we're financially strong. I thought we were just going to lose the revenue and we'll be mm -hmm. okay. Uh, and then we all know what happened. It was amazing. You sold, we sold just by answering a text. I want a hot tub. We all wow. just took orders over the phone. We took orders over the text messaging. E-commerce went through the roof. This is the spa retailer podcast. And so really our focus is obviously on the hot tub side, but I don't think that our audience necessarily has the perspective of what it was like on the swimming pool side too, and especially for those people who do both. Was it was there a difference between how the sales were happening for pools versus spas? It's a different kind of sale, a different kind of product, but were you having the same experience on that side as well, where it was like, sign me up, get me slotted. I want it now. I think so. Yeah. With the pool side of it, there was a lot of people coming in just saying, I'm going to buy a pool. I want to buy a pool. In mm -hmm. the month of May, we sold out of our inventory. 30 days of the above ground inventory was gone. Yeah. And people kept coming all summer long and we sold for the following year. Same with hot tubs, but it, to me, it was more, my, I have young guys that know how to tech sell and video yeah. chat and they're on their phone and they're selling from their phone, communicating yeah. with the lead. Now I didn't do that quite as much, but I saw that. And so that would have been the difference that the above grounds was more coming in and the hot tubs was more on the uh, social, if it's social media, I don't know even how they did it. Yeah. 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 No, that's, yeah, that's fascinating though, how it was a different kind of, a different kind of sale and a different kind of customer. And that, that makes sense to me too. I feel like maybe the above ground pool people who are walking in or like, all right, my kids are at home. I got to entertain them. What's Correct. something we can set up immediately. And maybe the hot tub people were a little bit more like, okay, we've been wanting one of these now that we can't go into work or now that we can't take that vacation. Let's do this instead. Maybe a little bit more longer term focus than the people who are looking for above ground pools, at least in 2020. I'm not sure about now. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you, I think you articulated as well. It's that makes sense. I mean, I was that looking for ways to entertain my children. So yeah. Did you get in a box? Did you get a pool? No, we did not. But our neighbors have one. And <laughs> oh come my, on. We have <laughs> I know. We we did build a playhouse from scratch. So that did happen. We found we found our ways. <laughs> okay. All good. And I'm interested too, because I think when you look across the industry and the supply chain and the lead times got out of control for everybody, and that was the same for every manufacturer in the hot tub industry. There's nobody who was not touched by that or who had some crystal ball that they were able to get out from under that differently than anyone else really. But I do feel like sometimes we're zeroed in on how these things are impacting our industry that we don't really look and see how it is for other industries. And so I'm curious how you felt hot tub manufacturers responded to what was going on with lead times and supply chain and, and all of that versus the swimming pool side of the business. Were you having the same kind of conversations as far as lead times and supply, supply chain and placing orders for months and months out in advance? I would say the difference was the hot tub industry manufacturers went to allocation where the pool industry above grounds in particular, 2020, we sold quickly out of everything. We sold a boatload of pools for the next year and they didn't come. Wasn't expecting that. 
the supply, the manufacturers on the above ground pool side were not prepared for this at all. And so our pools trickled in. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge with that was the the, keeping the customer at bay saying, yes, your pool, uh, typically it would be in, we're waiting for, we have the pool, we don't have the liner. Mm -hmm. So whereas on the organization with the hot tub manufacturer was okay, we can't you don't have it, but we're going to sell you X amount per month, that allocation program. Mm -hmm. So we were disciplined enough to nail our floor models down to the floor mm -hmm. every six months to flip them, but we were never out of product to show. Yeah. And a lot of people I know, not all, and some did it much better than we did, but uh, we always had product to show, even though they were going to pay us a ton of money to take the one right in front of them. Absolutely. And we sold that allocation. And if I had access to more hot tubs, like all of us, I can imagine, we would have sold. But we sold our allocation, kept people happy. We definitely looked for second suppliers. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to. Lo love loyalty with good manufacturers since okay. there's relationships there. But by default, we had to go out and look and we ended up with a second source supplier. My yard is full of tubs. Um running out of space to put them. Many of them are sold, trying to get them out to the customer and they need to yeah. be ready for them. And again, I don't think that's unique anymore. Everybody's mm -hmm. readjusting. But so having said that, the above ground pool industry or the pool industry, I don't think handled it as well. That's a good perspective, I think, for people to hear because the allocation can be frustrating, right? Because like you said, if you have more tubs, you feel like you could have sold them. And so mm -hmm. I think every salesperson has that drive. So it's good to hear what the other side may have looked like where it's, we would, we won't cap you, but who knows if we're ever going to get it to get you. It to you. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Which I think Correct. is how a lot of hot tub people feel too, because I mean, it did get long, those lead times. But yeah, it's an interesting perspective to see both sides where it's like, you know, the allocation can be painful, but like you never ran out of product. You always had something to sell and always were able to keep the cash flowing as opposed to getting stuck. Yes. Correct. So the interesting thing is I think the increase of the hot tub pricing is well overdue. I think we've been stagnant with pricing. So I think it adjusted properly. Yeah. How many years in a row do you have to hit $5,500 hot tubs, two pumps, 40 jets? And, and everybody's doing it. So the margins were just not that great. So one of the benefits of this pandemic and transition is margins are up where retailers, where they ought to be. I think they're up for manufacturers as well, I would assume, because yeah. I'm still getting price increases. So that's not a bad thing. And wages went up and people are reevaluating their own incomes and jobs. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of money that was thrown into the market. The wealthy got wealthier. We are a luxury product. So I think we got legs as an industry, as a category. And yet you hear about inflation and recession. So you, how do you dial that into the equation? Right. I don't know. I don't you, know. you don't bury your head in the sand when people no. talk about that like I do, because that's <laughs> been my approach lately. Someone starts talking about recession. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, there's enough wealth out there that the a fair segment of the population will not be affected by yeah. what we call a recession. I want to return to what that and what you think about the future of the industry. But I have to say, I think you're the first person who has talked about the price increases as being a, a proper correction. So that's an interesting perspective because I honestly, hot tub pricing isn't something that we talk about very often in the magazine because it doesn't fluctuate a lot. And so it's interesting to hear you say that because I'm not sure I've heard that perspective before. Mostly I hear people 
getting nervous about that we've priced ourselves out. We've gotten so high that we're first starting to get pushback from consumers, but you feel like this was the direction we needed to go anyway. I think margin correction is the premise of my thought process. And as I look at the high-end manufacturers that put very good product out there, they have been, correctly so, putting their pricing up. Yeah. And, um, and the retailers that always wanted to buy the, you know, the hit the price points to sell the volume. I know from my looking at our numbers that we were working on low margins mm-hmm. and with the price increases, everything's gone up and now a different look, we can charge a certain margin that is fair, mm-hmm. that is profitable. So yeah, I think it needed to happen. And as I work my prices, I hope it stays. There'll always be the low feeder, but, and the other thing <laughs> with pricing Manufactured direct to consumer selling is happening. It's happening more and more, even at events. Not a big fan of it. Obviously, why would I be? I'm in retail. But if they don't want to cannibalize this industry, they have to make sure they don't drive the pricing down. Keep your pricing up. Yeah. And their experience the consumer gets on a manufactured direct sale, if they, you know, having 25 people in a room answering phones, that's not taking care of a customer, right. in my opinion. So. Yeah. That worries me a little bit about the future. That goes to the future. Sure. And that's happening. Yeah. So I pray and hope that they could pull off that business model. Did you know that Strong Spas has hot tubs in stock and available now? The company has overstock and recertified hot tubs that are ready to ship. Strong also has the industry's shortest lead times on made-to-order tubs. Strong Spas can put hot tubs in your showroom now, filling any holes where there should be floor models or holes in your product offering. You can still diversify your suppliers by adding Strong to your product mix. Strong Spas has expanded its production capacity and, as always, is made in the USA. To become an authorized dealer today, visit strongspas.com dealer. Yeah, that's interesting. Every manufacturer is going to have different channels, whether they're Mm -hmm. selling through a dealer network and then they have other brands that they sell online, or then they have maybe some other brands that they sell through big box. Everyone needs to work their channels and kind of, no one wants to have for the most part, all their eggs in one basket. I, I get that. But so are you saying that you're seeing some of some manufacturers who have dealer networks also doing event sales on their own? Or no, is it I, really it's, more, that's more e-commerce. That, those, that's more it. e-commerce. Got it. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, that makes sense. So that so now I'm understanding where you're going. Because yes, yeah. I have seen those companies too who have gotten rid of their dealer network and are doing that direct to consumer model. Because yeah, I don't know how anyone can have a dealer network right now and also be doing events because you wouldn't have enough product. Well, <laughs> and how mad your dealers would be at you right now. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Yeah, that's interesting. That's yeah, even here in Oklahoma, we'd see those roll through every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So let's touch on the future a little bit more. We talked about the direct-to-consumer and that being a thorn in your side, maybe a little bit, but also we are talking a lot about inflation and recession and all of that. But you said you feel like our customers, the hot tub consumers are probably in good enough shape that they won't be as impacted by that. I believe so. If you, if I look at and uh, consider the people I've dealt with mm-hmm. and the, uh, they're all professional, they're, they're all taking care of families, living the American dream and are capable of buying things. And the money that 
was distributed by the government and the money that's out there is not insignificant. And I think I worry a little bit about the separation of classes. They talk about the middle class going away. You'll have mm -hmm. the very wealthy and then the very poor. And I always thought I was in middle class. So I don't know what that puts me, but um, right. <laughs> yeah. So where do I go? But I know. I, but I'm not seeing I'm, where I'm seeing a slowdown and people coming in, we're still selling and they're still not asking about price or complaining mm -hmm. about price. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing that's been surprising is I think that at this point, we all would have expected there to be a drop off, not just a slowdown, but like a cliff. Like, I think mm -hmm. we've all been waiting for that, that to happen. And it's not as frenetic, obviously, as it was for a while there. But I think most retailers are happy that we've slowed down a little bit to a more doable pace. And like you said, and you still have people coming in, you're still selling a pretty big, good volume of spas. And like you said, getting those margins and keeping your profits where you need them to be. And the higher end of the, on the, you know, when they're looking at tubs, they're not looking at the less expensive tubs. Yeah. Now the biggest headache is the price of gas that hits everybody. So this is the big one. If it continues to go up, there has to be, this is not sustainable if, it, if things get crazy. What is the price of gas for you guys are right now? About $5 a gallon. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, even here in Oklahoma, which tends to be on the low end on the scale, because you know, we're so close to the source, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even here we've gone over $4. So it's getting spending. We're not like the $10, like you see in California, but, but yeah, it's getting up yeah. there. Right. So what, how does that affect? Will you travel? Will you travel with your family? Will you keep investing in things yeah. that you want? You yeah. Know? We've got a trip planned at the See? end of July and we will be taking it even if it costs 150 bucks to gas up the car to get there. <laughs> yeah. See? So that's good. And I think that's why I think we have time left mm -hmm. on the clock to maybe a year or two to keep running with this. And then the world is changing like all the time. So who knows? The big right. who knows what's going to happen. I think right now, since none of us have been able to go and do any of our normal traveling or events or anything for so long, I think there's a lot of us. It's like, I don't care how much it costs. If we can, we are leaving. <laughs> we are getting out of town. We're getting out of this house. <laughs> yes. Yes. Pent up demand to get out. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. What do you see? You, it's you and Julie now, and Steve has retired. What do you mm -hmm. see for the future of Pettis Pools as you move forward? Have you picked your successor? Since Irma picked you out pretty early in the game, it sounded like. I was just <laughs> thinking about that, that, that she picked me. I think she supported all of us. And always we always had candid conversations. If you don't want to be in this, that's fine. But she didn't force anything. But it, I think she was fair and kept an eye on all of us. As it relates to the future for Pettis, we have actually in New Orleans, the last national show. Oh, sure. Yeah. We went to a seminar on transitioning your business and potentially selling it to employees within. And uh, oh, yeah. so, yeah, we developed a leadership committee back in when that ended in 2019. And we meet every Wednesday, not in season because it's too crazy, but most yeah. of the year we have an hour meeting or so. And there's about 13 of us. Okay. And uh, every division manager, and, and we tackle everything from what direction, strategy, profit margins, pricing, product mix, what resources do you need that you don't have so we can support them in running their part of the business. And uh, I can tell you, we have some pretty good young talent that have entrepreneurial potential and interests. Now, that's yeah. one aspect. That's one potential thing. And then there's, as I think you guys write about it as well as anybody, there's a ton of mergers and acquisitions going on. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so, are people knocking on your door and uh, get some of that private equity money? <laughs> <laughs> no formal calls. Oh, right, right. There's a, there's a lot of that out there. So the options are uh, very simple to me. Quite honestly, keep the business financially strong and sustain the growth that we've enjoyed by concentrating on great employees and helping them grow. And we'll see what happens. It's a stable future for us. And we'll see what direction makes the most sense. We're constantly trying to learn about all the avenues of transition, ESOPs. Sure. And yeah, there's a lot to it. We're yeah. not experts at it. We've never done it. I know. But, I think, yeah. I feel like an ESOP is maybe one of the most complicated transitions it's, it seems to like do. It. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot of work to get that set up. And yeah, I've yeah. only, I think I only know one retailer who has done that successfully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I read about it not too long ago and it was seemed like not the right way to go for us, but everything's on the All I'm saying is everything's on the table. We'll keep all options open. It sounds like you guys run your business in a way. And isn't that what they say that you should be running your business? Like you're going to be selling it at any time. You know, that's the way that you should always be operating. And not all of us do it that way (laughs) or can do it that way, but it sounds like that's how you guys have been doing it for a while. We've given it more thought and tried. And, and at the same time, I'll go help somebody in water test. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> I mean, that still lives yeah. the life of a small business owner. You betcha. So would you guys have anything exciting planned for your 60 year celebration? I see, I think I see you've got a 60 year celebration shirt on. <laughs> so that's pretty fun. Yeah. So we're doing a couple of things. We're doing 60 days of giveaways. Heck, all the details the girls take care of and others, but yeah. We're uh, giving prizes away every day for 60 days, culminating to a hot tub. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, Julie puts together something on Facebook, Throwback Thursday, okay, which was yeah. tri- trivia questions on her folks and all our milestones over the years. And then people win gift certificates for that. Yes, we got a lot of hats and shirts that everybody are wearing <laughs> and banners out front. And uh, yeah. And, uh, and when you walk in, Karen, one of our store managers here, and our hot tub division buyer. She's awesome. Very organized. Could not have been done this without her. Been so organized for the hot tub epidemic. Yeah. Uh, but she, uh, when you come in, all the prizes are wrapped and she's got a big sign up board. So it looks festive. And then the stores, this didn't have anything to do with the tie-in. We always try and dress them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Bed Bath & Beyond, a big retailer, went out of business in town, a couple big stores. Mm-hmm. And a great new hire. We hired an operations manager for the first time in our company's history. And he watches all divisions and he comes from Bed Bath & Beyond with great training. But uh, when they went out of business, we went and picked, he said, they got great shelving. You guys want to update your shelving? So just that little thing, put white LED lights in and it just brought life to the store, both stores. Yeah, It's funny, that seems seems like a little thing, but it can still be a huge undertaking. But again, something that, that like makes a huge impact when you're done. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Constant improvement. Yeah, of course. You're talking about hiring an operations manager. Now I want to ask you about that. (laughs) All right. That's where you go. It's interesting because we've talked to people about new positions that they've created that they've never needed or had in their company before. And so it sounds like you guys, an operations manager was one of those that kind of came out of all of this craziness is that, hey, we need someone to handle some more of those tasks themselves. Yeah, it's much more simpler. We, when we went to our hiring, we needed a warehouse manager. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we had our, over the years, we had our best, strongest team in the warehouse, watching inventory and taking care of all those responsibilities. It was a two-man team, a gentleman and his, uh, and he hired uh, someone who he worked with at another company. 
long story short, so we hired two, but what morphed out of the hiring is a very strong retail ma- or warehouse manager and Scott, who was an ops manager at Bed Bath & Beyond, but we hired him for support in the warehouse. And when we hired them together, we thought, we thought, let's see who, what they gravitate to. Yeah. And Scott was just awesome with, this is how I did it there. And he started looking at all the divisions and saying, if you don't mind, I won't mind. So this came out of, it wasn't, oh, let's hire an option manager. Sure. It's, oh my God, what a benefit he is. And a lot of tasks came on it and he's taken on a lot. And in it, I guess the older we get and the more you get into management and all the things that pull you away from just retail. Yeah. You understand that the big companies that do really well, they have very systematized, organized management teams that report to them and Mm -hmm. they know where their inventory is. And you see it and we're just a little mom and pop trying to figure out how to survive. And we're getting to a point where we're just getting stronger and better, but we're nowhere near many of these companies are. Sure. I, that's, I think that's really exciting though. I geek out over systems and efficiencies and <laughs> operational things and all of that kind of stuff. And so, so yet, like, and yet you're in a closet. So. Yeah, I'm in, yes, I am in my podcasting closet. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> you got to get organized. <laughs> I know, but I, yeah, but I love that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that's a really exciting place to be at where you're big enough that you need that. And that's really beneficial to make sure, yeah, you've got all of those systems in place and you're running on Every department and every process is running on all cylinders. Trying. Yeah. Yeah. The day-to-day stress tests all that, but yeah. So are you, are you ready for the spa retailer five? And then I'll let you get back to your day. Sure. Okay. All right. (laughs) So what was your very first hot tub sale? Do you remember the product or the customer or what you sold? So Baja Casita. Baja Industries down in, where were they? Tucson, Tucson Arizona. Yeah. Tucson, Arizona. Tucson. Bernie Burba. Yeah. So it was at Baja Casita and I bought a Ford probe. I don't know if it's still even around anymore from a young car salesman. And I had enough commission checks that I drove by it. I liked the look of it. I pulled in and I bought it. And he said, he's looking for a hot tub. I said, why don't you come to our store? We sell them. So he came over. <laughs> he asked me, how much of the hot tub covers? I said, about $300, whatever it was at the time. Yeah. He said, you throw that in and you got a deal. <laughs> I said, I got to ask permission. And we always threw the hot tub cover. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was, you did the, you did the car salesman for it. Was, like, yeah, you got to walk back in. to the manager yeah. and see if it's okay and then come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really so, funny. That's so that one. What was your first real job? First job where I had to show up and do what I was told was Conti's Meatpacking Company. Oh. My, my great uncles ran it for years and my uncle ran it. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was in a cooler and loading trailers of beef. And I was say, that skinning, sounds like hard, that sounds like hard work. Skinning hot dogs and packing. And yeah, and it told me, I, I left there exhausted, seeing older people doing what I was doing and saying, I, I'm going to read my, do my homework tonight because I'm not going to end up like this. So that was my first real job that taught me the value of education. Yeah, I would say. Do you have, and when you look back over your career, do you have something that you would consider your biggest flop, either a marketing idea or a product you thought was going to take off that didn't, something that you were really gung-ho about and then just did not pan out the way you had hoped? So for whatever reason, yeah, a price point hot tub, I got to see the category, rotationally molded hot tubs. We brought yeah. them in, we private labeled them. We had, 
we've tried so many things and we oh, just, you went all in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we brought them to the shows. Uh, called, Julie was big behind this. She called it five o'clock spas. Her, she has a sister in graphic arts in California, Tracy, and they put uh, logos together, cell sheets together, and mm-hmm. we went at it, but the volume never picked up. We could not get the low-end hot tub buyer to buy from us for some reason. We just do better with better quality product and we're not chasing them anymore. Interesting. Yeah. And well, and we have the soft tub. So, you know, people would refer to that as a price point. Got it. It's certainly a price point, but a low-end but it's actually the most expensive foam vinyl <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so in its category, it's not personal. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting though. And I, it's always interesting to me to see what works. There, there's no magic formula. What works for one retailer does not mean it's going to work for another or another market. It's just, it's all dependent on all of your specific yeah, <laughs> quirks and things. And so that's, it's really interesting. That was one that didn't work out for you guys. Yeah. And it's, but yet there's how many of them are out there? Many. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I could name two or three dealers off the top of my head where it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So on the yep. flip side, what would you say is one of the best ideas that you that you guys have brought to the business? Hindsight, looking at the numbers, it was event selling, going out mm-hmm. to events, putting on hot tub expos, getting involved with fairs. So getting out of the stores. And uh, yeah, if you looked at our spreadsheets and profit and loss statements, you'd see that. Okay. Are you guys getting back into that? Do you see those as coming back or not, not yet, or maybe not ever? So this year, I couldn't that. Get the rental space. We usually rented a venue, a skating rink in town. Okay. It wasn't available. So we did an huh. in-store hot tub expo. We spent the same ad dollars as we normally would. We brought mm-hmm. in sales, a smaller sales team. And it did very well for a weekend event. In-store event selling with that footprint was just, yeah. you know, so we'll replicate that. And then, yeah, I'm not going to walk away from offsite events. We will continue to do whatever we think we need to do to continue with selling value. Sure. Sure. Okay. So ending on a more relaxed note, do you have a favorite (laughs) book or TV show or podcast movie, something that you find yourselves, you find yourself going back to for relaxation, but doesn't necessarily have to be business related. My favorite book was titled Time and Again. Jack Finney is the author. Okay. It's a time piece and brought people back to the 1800s in New York City. And I enjoyed that. I try and get myself a business book and a leisure book every month if I can. Mm-hmm. And when I'm busy, I can't. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of reading. The last good business book was a was entitled 2030. And it was written by um, R.O. Goulian. But it's all the trends that he predicts. He's a professor at the Wharton School. And all the trends from social, social economic, global trends, mm-hmm. financial trends, he touches on all of it. It's going to happen between now and 2030. And it was, he wrote it in 2020. So he touched on the pandemic was part of his, the pandemic was going on. So he tied that into it. Yeah. And I think it's pretty accurate. So that's a good book. I'll have yeah. to add, I'll have to add to my list. Yeah. I tried to do the same where yeah. I do fun book and then a business book. And I try to do maybe one or the other, although it's usually more like two to one, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two, I took two fictional my... books and then maybe one business book thrown in there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it takes time to read it because you read it when you're going to bed and you fall asleep. Well, it and, takes I, time. and I do a lot of audiobooks because my kids are young and you pop in the headphones while you're making dinner or cleaning or doing no, things like that. that. 
it's fantastic. You can get through a lot of books that way. (laughs) But yeah, it's harder when it's a business book because you actually want to, you need, you feel like you need to pay attention to all the details. Whereas fiction, if you miss a little bit here and there, it's fine. So makes it a little, it's a little tougher on that side. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. John, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And congratulations to you and the team on 60 years. That's a huge accomplishment. And we'd love to have you back on sometime. Awesome. Appreciate you guys and what you do. Thank you. Spa Retailer Podcast is produced by Spa Retailer Magazine. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SpaRetailer.com, and the Spa Retailer app. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think or email us at podcast at SpaRetailer.com.